I'm Kim Schmidt, and welcome to this episode of our 2021 Precision Farming Dealer podcast series. In today's podcast, we talk with three precision farming managers about the value they've found in being in a peer group together. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the podcast series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you'll be alerted as soon as new episodes are released. Collaboration is usually the answer to solving a complex problem, and precision farming is no exception. Peer groups are a common way for small, independent dealers and larger multi-store OEM operations alike to share ideas and strategies. Finding the right non-competitive dynamic and geographic diversity is key to capturing the benefit of an external precision peer group. In 2018, a group of about a dozen precision farming managers formed a virtual network to trade advice and avoid costly infield problems with proactive troubleshooting. The benefits have included everything from quantifiable sidestepping of customer service landmines that led to increased uptime for farmers to the intangible therapeutic relief of idea sharing. In today's Precision Farming Dealer podcast, three members of the peer group share their top takeaways from being a part of the group and how it's directly benefited their precision business. Included in the conversation were Phil Moskal, Integrated Solutions Manager for Mid-State Equipment, a six-store John Deere dealership in Wisconsin, Arthur Etheridge, Integrated Solutions Manager for Shoppers Farm Supply, an eight-store John Deere dealership in Texas, and Carl Hubner, Integrated Solution Manager for Hudson Inc., now a 30-store dealership based in Kentucky. So I know peer groups aren't necessarily a, a new concept in any industry and, and you know, not necessarily in agriculture either. And even in, in the precision side of things, I've had the opportunity to be a part of a few. There does seem to be more emphasis, you know, on, on having, uh, you know, external resources, opportunities to talk to people beyond your internal staff and taking advantage of some of those perspectives, particularly with how fast everything is moving nowadays. And, and, you know, sometimes those perspectives can be very valuable. So Phil, I'll start with you, but I just wanted to kind of get your perspective on, you know, the origins of, of this group and, and some of the background on, on how things came together. Well, I think, like I said before, in the previous meeting, um, it all started with a text message from one of the members out in Minnesota uh, showing an issue he had on active yield on a combine and was wondering if we all saw that. And so it kind of started out with that. We had, uh, we all see each other, like we were talking, develop with deer, other deer meetings, the, you know, large ag integrated solutions down in Orlando, there was usually a precision ag wave. So we had all seen each other for years, you know, since we've been here and we kind of knew each other from different areas. They had the dealer bulletin board in the deer website. And so we had had contacts. And so I just, sent out that text message saying, hey, are any of you guys seeing that? And then we just kind of started chatting because it's the way we are. You know, you, you get to, I guess at some point, vent off some of your frustrations with your job because we were all in the same job and you can't really, you know, vent off or explain what you're going through to the parts guy or to the sales guy or to the service manager because they don't necessarily have the same shared experiences. And so, Started out with a text message and then we moved off to a different platform because text message was just getting kind of cumbersome between the, uh, you know, that whatever Apple junk that some of you people run and then the Android phones, which are the good ones. So we just had issues and we moved off to a central platform and it's kind of grown from there. All right. Arthur, talk a little bit about how you got involved. 
Well, it's all Phil's fault. We'll just put it on him. Uh, he was, as he said, the dealer discussion board went away on John Deere, and that was where we could, uh, as a dealer personnel, we could all get on that and kind of, you know, shoot ideas around. And if somebody sees a problem, and that went away, and you know, Phil, I think we were already doing this before that went away, and it was just a lot more detailed on problem solving, and uh, and there's a whole lot of venting going on as well. You know, it's just, it's nice to talk to some folks who are doing the exact same thing that we are uh, in, in, in our world. It's, it's a very niche kind of problem solving market here. Uh, and it's, it's just great that, that we have this group together so you can bounce ideas off each other, uh, be it business or personal. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's a really great platform to do that with. No, I agree. I mean, I think it's, um, Every dealership, I really don't care what brand you're talking about. They're pretty shallow as far as understanding of true product knowledge and field knowledge. I always try to say it's the marriage of where agronomy and equipment excellence needs the field. You know, I think that's what our growers really after. But the amount of people that are really in an organization that can do that and be the person with the knowledge when you need to know it, it's just really shallow. And I think every dealership struggles with that uh, to some extent. And I think that's why you hear mainstreaming pushes and things like that. And so for us to have a direct line of communication uh, to uh, the people at that organization uh, that are in the know or the people that can get the information that know, uh, man, it expedites things uh, radically. Uh, it, it really moves things quickly, especially when you have a personal relationship with them. And, you know, nobody likes Phil and likewise, people more likely to call you back because of it, right, Phil? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and that's, yeah, it's, like I said, it's about the personal connections. There's There's very few people that, in this job that you can talk with that understand sometimes what you're doing or a, what you're going through. And just, we know there's in all precision ag, we've talked about this at all the previous precision meetings is that burnout factor. And the fact that you're just going so hard. And I think part of that is because you just don't have someone to talk to about it. Not trying to get all mushy and, you know, millennial on you, but uh, just, talking about things and <laughs> there you go Carl yeah see Arthur's Arthur's on my side not that millennial stuff but uh, you know just someone to talk to about and and you realize that hey you're not the only one that's going through this and life goes on yeah I, I always suspected uh, psychology was was an element of uh, being a precision specialist and that uh, that kind of came with the territory so although you guys are, are probably unpaid for that aspect of your job, but uh, you know, comes with the territory. So it uh, keeps everybody relatively sane. So, uh, you know, one, one of the other aspects I know uh, within the group is uh, that diversity, that geographic diversity, uh, you know, dealership diversity in terms of size. Now, obviously, you know, everybody's kind of got that John Deere background, you know, which uh, again, kind of provides that, that common thread. Um, but I wanted to ask you guys, uh, you know, just about the opportunity that that comes with uh, being able to communicate pretty regularly with some of your peers uh, around uh, the country and being able to pick their brain or have them kind of proactively contact you on you know what's going on in their area either you know something they're noticing or, or something that you know you guys can watch out for and, and a heads up for your customers so Arthur why, why don't we start with you just in terms of of your perspective on that well, you know, we down here in the South, we uh, we typically see harvest and everything else first before uh, everybody else gets a hold of it. Uh, you know, we found out 
that active yield in our area is very specific rice market. Uh, the active yield did not work real, and it's not approved for rice anyway. Uh, but we had lots of issues with that, and finally just turned it all off. Uh, and you know, we was I was bouncing ideas back and forth off off the peer group, and and uh, they said, yeah, probably turn it off, you know, and and just do away with it and do a manual calibration, and that that really sits, uh, fixed a lot of issues on the on the combine side of it. You know, that's that's one of the things we see first. And then, you know, of course, then we have cotton as well. And a lot of those guys don't have cotton. So uh, there's a couple other guys on the peer group that, that are in the cotton field. And, you know, we, we transition to the Gen 4 monitors on the cotton pickers. And, you know, that's that's always a, a, a challenge when you're moving from one generation of displays to the next. You know, there's, there's some little quirks there. And it's nice to just bounce that off of these guys and, and – see if I'm, I'm, I'm missing something simple, and typically I am. Carl, how about you? Yeah, so, I mean, Arthur's about 1,000 miles south of me. Phil's about 800 miles north of me. Uh, to put it in perspective, Arthur doesn't own a long sleeve shirt, and Phil doesn't take his jacket off. So, you know, that's hey. kind of <laughs> that, that's kind of that's kind of geographically the range. But I kind of get the best of both worlds in that, you know, Arthur's country really doesn't shut down for the most part, you know what I mean? And, uh, so they'll run across issues, uh, software issues, typically before I see it or hit it. And then that will typically kind of, as the as the state comes alive or as the country comes alive, planning and everything, it just, you know, works its way all the way up until it hits Phil and everything. So really, we just make Phil's life better because by the time it hits him, we've pretty well got everything worked out for him. But at the same time, too, there's products that uh, Phil uses that um, are a little more Midwest to, you know, some of the, um, you know, uh, in fertilizer things and stuff like that that, that we mess with that we have to lean on him a little bit harder for, for, uh, you know, software issues or whatever issues he might be seeing. Uh, sometimes it's even more specific than that. Uh, but uh, it's, it's overall just another person, another eye on the problem uh, that can help kind of cut through the noise. A lot of times when you investigate a potential AMS slash maybe agronomic or machine problem, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of static around what potentially really is the problem. And you kind of have to be able to cut through a lot of that. Uh, so it's very helpful to say, hey, we're experiencing this, possibly one of these three things. Or just leave it open-ended like that. Let me know if you see one of these three things happen, and maybe we can boil it down a little tighter. Uh, so that's uh, very helpful. And it's, it's a product mix, too, I think. It's not just a geographic diversity. It's a product mix that you see amongst the group as well. So what do you, what's your take? Like I said, it's just all about the communication. Uh, I think Arthur and Carl hit it really well, talking about the issues we're seeing products that, you know, they may have that uh, we don't have, like, you know, Arthur's got cotton, Carl's got tobacco or whatever else he grows down there, and, you know, whiskey, which is good. We'd like some of that. But, uh, you know, up here we got hay and forage and that's, you know, we can bring those ideas across where they may be doing something in the cotton world that we never thought about, but we can bring that application across into row crops or into, you know, hay and forage and we can kind of combine those ideas. And then, yeah, we get the, the testing on this software and they says, Hey, you know, here's a heads up. This is not working. You know, I know Carl has sent out a few heads up on some application products. They says, Hey, there's an issue with this application product. Here's what you got to look for. And that's been very helpful in diagnosing that because it's kind of bringing everything together where we may only have one or two of each product. Let's say we all have, you know, two of those high capacity nutrient applicators. Well, if each of us has two, that's what, 20, 30 across the country that we can realize these problems and 
put a pattern together before it may be emerging and, and let everyone know that, hey, it's not just a one-off, it's a 20 or 30 off. And you've each, uh, you know, shared, shared some examples there uh, of circumstances, you know, where that communication has really been beneficial. Taking that, that point a little bit further, I just wanted to ask each of you how or if you've been able to, to quantify, you know, some of the, the value from that communication, you know, and, and whether or not it's been something specifically tied to a, a customer, saving them some money or something within your department where you can, you know, let your team know that, hey, you know, just, just a heads up you know, look out for this and, and being proactive based on, you know, something you may have learned from another member in the group. Start with, with Carl on that one. If, if there's, you know, any, any way you've been able to kind of put a measurement to, to some things maybe you've taken out of the group at this point. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's been some products that have come out that we've kind of thrown around or different programs, promotions, and we've visited about those as far as how we would launch or leverage those internally within the dealer uh, and even shared how we would frame those up for our customer base just to make sure that it is a sensible, you know, plan. And of course, that does have monetary value to those, you know, uh, inventory uh, sharing. We're all very transparent in regards to, hey, if, if you have this, you have that. I mean, look, this COVID deal is going to last a little bit longer than we wanted to, unfortunately. And that's going to put a struggle on every single business in this country that operates in the world of technology and everything else. You can't hardly find anything anymore. So, uh, you know, for us to be able to share openly in that, uh, to solve these farmers' needs uh, is, a, is a you know great big help, and I think just the expedited ability to uh, work more efficiently uh, instead of uh, having a technician that's billing time to a machine where we're just kind of uh, I call it a quicksand sometimes. Just uh, you're not really latched onto the true solution. You're trying to get there, and you've got a hypothesis of it, but you're just really not necessarily getting to the solution. And sometimes it kind of feels like that, and when you can hit a lifeline. Uh, or something like that and say, yeah, okay, maybe this, maybe that, or, you know what, maybe these guys are right. I need to pull off this thing, you know, and, and let them play with a few things and I'll come back to it this afternoon. So instead of just billing time or something like that and spiraling, you're now in touch with, uh, in, in my mind, um, what makes the district special is these are the dinosaurs and the roles. I mean, if you talk to not just these two guys, but you talk to the others in the group as well, most of these people have been in these roles a pretty good while. And that's a tremendous amount of knowledge. I don't, I don't know what it would be if you total it all up, but I'm pretty sure it'd be an outstanding number. Um, and so it expedites what you're able to do on an incredible level. It'd be like having the top technicians in your country, or excuse me, in your, in your company, all working on the same job. Uh, it's kind of one way to look at it. So it's, it's good to hit whenever you need it. Yeah, it's a good way to, to characterize it. That's, that's, a, that's a good perspective. So with that, Phil, we'll, we'll let you follow Carl on that answer. Yeah, I, I don't know if we can necessarily put a hard dollar number on it, but I know multiple times I have leveraged everyone in this group to either A, get me a product that I did not have, um, B, to give me some advice on, on service packages. I know I've talked and we've all talked about um, you know pr services we're providing to our customers, and I, I really like the services that Arthur's providing. I've used some of the other dealers in this group, and you know, woven some of those services into my current plans. And like I said, I don't know if we can put a hard dollar number on it, but it's definitely invaluable in the fact that I can get a product if someone else has it, we can share that product knowledge back and forth and just helping advance our dealership through their trial and errors. Phil, you mentioned the, the service side there. Is, is there anything that 
that comes to mind, uh, you know, something maybe that you were able to, to pull in from one of the other members and you know, incorporate into to the mid-state package? We've explored some options. Um, I, like I said, the, the one I like about Arthur is the way wagon that he does, where he has a truck and takes a way wagon out and does the calibration for customers, because we all know harvest data is probably 80, maybe even 90% garbage when it comes in. And so trying to eliminate some of that garbage and, and go out and do an actual way wagon calibration, I think that would be huge for customers. And I'm exploring that option, looking at, you know, the possibility of using a vehicle we currently have and then and leveraging maybe a seat, local seat dealer or a local co-op to, you know, use their way wagon. But yeah, that's one option that I've really explored. Arthur, how about your perspective on that? Well, the uh, the one thing I can say, and I'd, like I said, with, like Phil said, you can't really put a dollar amount on it, but it made us more efficient is this group also is kind of maintaining a contact list of different dealers across the nation. So, you know, we don't just sell tractors to our, our NRAOR. They go everywhere. They go, they go internationally a lot of times. And across North America to, to get a JD Link terminal transferred, when you hit a big dealership, say RDO or whoever, it, it's kind of, sometimes it's kind of hard to get to the person that you need to talk to, to get that terminal transferred. And, you know, that can be a two or three hour game of phone tag. And with the list that, that Phil has started and everybody's added to, you know, it's real nice to just, oh, we got to go to this, this dealership and, uh, Here's the contact for the person we need to talk to, and uh, it works. It, it saves us a lot of time. That is a that is a time suck moving those terminals around. So uh, within in dealerships now, precision is is kind of uh, certainly you know kind of infiltrating more departments. You know, it's not just a precision team anymore. In a lot of cases, you know, it's touching you know pretty much every department in the dealership uh, to some extent. Um, so, you know, next question, I just wanted to, to get your take on, you know, from what you guys are taking out of this peer group, um, how much of that is, you know, kind of then working its way or, or at least, you know, having some influence on how you guys and your teams operate, you know, with parts and, and sales and service within your dealerships. Arthur, let, let's start with you on this one. Uh, well, the mainstreaming part of this peer group is we'll run into an issue and, you know, we'll file the John Deere DTAC case and the next word out of my service manager's mouth is, uh, hey, contact your group and see if anybody else has seen this. Uh, you know, we, that, that's, that speaks volumes to me that, you know, uh, it, it may take John Deere DTAC a little while to get back to you and we've got a field, in the, you know, a tech in the field and uh, – customer screaming at him to get this going and you know I'll just send out a quick text hey have anybody seen this and you know if they have they'll get us an answer right back to us you know real quick and then sometimes we do beat John Deere DTAC on that and it, it's it's very nice and uh, it's a it, it complements the business very well having this group together like this. Phil how about you? Yeah I, I think taking some of the cues on the training and how they do that um, I know uh, Rudy up at SEMA, he's shared some of his mainstreaming plans and um, Dusty down at Lassiter, he's been on the forefront because he's been a one-man band down in the IS department there for a couple of years now. So he has vast experience in that mainstreaming and pushing that through. And so being able to leverage those two 
and everyone else in the group on the training plans that they've done have have made my job a little bit easier because I can, like I said, learn from their failures pretty much. And we know what they did right and, and what they thought they could have done better. So we can get off on that good foot and uh, try and do as good as they did. Carl, how about you? No, I think we're on the same page, just a different direction to look at it is, you know, training and onboarding new employees, whether they're in the uh, service side of things or whether they're, uh, salesmen, let's, let's be honest, more and more of these individuals are not coming from farming livestock backgrounds or anything like that. So it's all pretty new to them. Uh, so we do bounce around some concepts in regards to, you know, uh, what are you doing to get your uh, sales individual, you know, ready to sell that. Uh, and I know I've had some pretty extensive conversations, especially with Jeff out of CMB, uh, around what are you doing? Um, you know, especially uh, whenever we're, uh, you know, really being pushed harder to move more technology and our farmers are incredibly interested in it. Uh, but it goes back to that equation of, you know, uh, there's less and less senior people in these roles. Um, and you really have to force the depth of knowledge down deep. And what really is the best way to do that? How do you mature these salesmen into these roles and these technicians into these roles uh, when they're not necessarily coming from this style background? And frankly, these products are just getting a lot more complex and they're starting from, you know, uh, just nothing. Uh, so it, it kind of helps frame up how to go about it in a little cleaner way. Um, you know, for example, instead of an hour long, you know, demonstration on it, let's just do a 10 minute video and a five, you know, five questions or something like that, you know, just baby step them into it, uh, and pre-qualify them and do taking another one. And, um, it kind of gives, uh, like what Phil was saying, Hey, I tried that and I couldn't get effectiveness out of it. You may, but I did this and I'm getting a lot more movement. Uh, as far as maturing people at a faster pace. And so I think it's letting us expedite our ability to be effective, uh, not only in our role, but also in this whole philosophy of mainstreaming and art. We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but first a word from Trimble Agriculture. The series will feature perspectives from precision experts on a range of topics, and today we'll have some insights from Jesse Chisholm, Director of Sales for Agriculture with Trimble on the relationship between the manufacturer, dealer, and farmer, and where the future of precision technology will take us. I wanted to explore a little bit about the kind of the, the dynamic between manufacturer, dealer, and, and customer when it comes to finding these compatible solutions. Uh, if we're talking about uh, different systems, older equipment, newer equipment, uh, older technology, newer technology, I want to get your perspective on, you know, how have we seen, you know, maybe those relationships change or evolve uh, in maybe some of the, uh, you know, the early years, uh, you know, thinking, you know, 10, 15 years ago when you kind of broke into the industry um, mm-hmm. to where we are today and, and, you know, what are some of the, I guess, difference makers, you know, when it comes to being able to uh, maintain and, and strengthen those? Yeah, and you know, within my 15 years, you know, obviously with with um, innovation and integration from from OEMs um, such as equipment manufacturers, there'll be a set of technologies that, that come um, with the vehicle, right? And I think everybody really points to auto steers when when they think about maybe precision technologies. And again, innovation has evolved so far beyond that in, in just my time in the last 15 years in the industry that I believe where we'll see this moving forward is, um, you know, some of those what I would call core technologies will come on a vehicle, but the tool sets that companies like Trimble will provide 
um, to, to again, um, not only to, to OEMs perhaps, but to the, you know, independent dealership that can, that can integrate these tools with a farming operation. Again, so much, so much happens, you know, behind the machine now that uh, while, while the auto steer is a component to the process, um, it's, it's just one piece and it's, it's a piece of technology that's been around, like I said, for 15 years or, or, or even a little longer than that. Um, but, you know, again, as you start to integrate new technologies and the Internet of Things and, and connecting Bluetooth devices to these, to these displays, um, uh, artificial intelligence and edge computing and all these really cool things that, you know, enable a person's, um, I would say, personal life are, are now part of big industries such as, such as agriculture. And I think it's going to be innovation companies like Trimble that, that can begin to uh, build um, the systems that and platforms that allow those technologies to integrate into a piece of machinery. So um, while there will always be uh, evolution on the OEM side, I think for, for companies um, like Trimble, um, we can we can stay out in front while we continue to seek new technologies that that enable you know operational workflows. So, I you know I see it as you know the the vehicle is almost like a host, and and no matter the age of the vehicle, a person deploying a display to perform um, to automate tasks such as auto steers or flow and application control, that's a good thing for the industry for the precision ag technology industry whether you're an equipment dealer or independent um, precision ag technology provider, the vehicle needs a display. Um, and so much more is going to connect to that display in the future that it's, it's really exciting to think about the next five, six, seven, ten 10 years. So thinking about, uh, you know, kind of maybe at the field level, you know, some of those relationships, you know, that have been established, um, you know, maybe, 10, 15 years ago when, when we're talking about, you know, the auto steer system and, and, you know, maybe it was began with a yield monitor, uh, you know, to where we are today, you know, obviously uh, on the cusp of far more advanced, you know, technology that, that you know, is, is going to be adopted on the farm operations. I'd imagine, you know, new equipment, old equipment will, will always be uh, kind of a challenge, you know, and I guess from your perspective, do you, do you see that as something that, is completely solvable or, or are there always going to be, you know, when we're talking about, you know, technology and preferences and, and what people are accustomed to or used to and, you know, dealerships are skilled in, in servicing and selling, is that just going to be kind of a part of the evolution in, in that, you know, people will adapt as they adapt and obviously as the manu- on the manufacturing side, you know, um, as new systems and products are released, you know, Certainly, there's the training and the learning curve for customers and dealerships, but um, you know, inevitably, are, are there always going to have to be you know some of those uh, you know kind of in the moment troubleshooting uh, efforts that need to take place to uh, you know make sure that you know customers stay up and running. Yeah, again, you know, when when you have precision technology systems that are that are uh, equipped to a vehicle, you know, post delivery from an OEM, right? Um, you can always have that that sense of um, of ownership and accountability of, of who's servicing you, um, and and again, I think in the future 
where the technologies take us, I think it will continue to uh, change the evolution of what we perceive to be um, uh, the precision technology providers and what they do and those skill sets within there. Um, you know, as we move into the future and, and you start to think about technology such as um, unmanned vehicles and things like that, where that takes the independent versus the OEM in the future, uh, you know, again, we're in a very, very uh, I would say that in, in many ways, the conceptual phases of that. So I think that's, that's really uh, yet to be determined um, how differentiated um, particular channels will be in the future. Um, but, but I think, again, um, companies like Trimble, as, as we stay on the forefront of innovation and technology, um, the delivery of those technologies will come much faster than you'll probably experience within a, a major equipment manufacturer. So there'll always be um, uh, a level of differentiation just, just upon the offerings that are, that are out there in the market. I think, you know, at the end of the day, whether you're an equipment dealer or you're an independent precision ag technology provider, you should always be thinking about what the client, what's best for the client. And I think for the channels to really to do that, um, a level of collaboration has to be established as, you know, that grower is seeking his trusted advisors, whether, whether you wear a uh, equipment manufacturer brand or, or an independent brand in the market. Um, it, it's, it, it's really dependent on, on what you want to do for that client, how you want to best serve that client in the interest of that client. So, um, uh, again, I think uh, it's really in the market, you know, the, the client is, is, again, keep them at the center of everything we do and, and we'll continue to evolve as this uh, industry. You alluded to the uh, kind of the future and, and what that might hold, um, you know, when we're talking about adaptability and, and how systems will, uh, you know, function together. Um, you know, kind of asking you to, to dust off that crystal ball a little bit and, <laughs> you know, take a look and, and see, you know, uh, maybe uh, five years down the road and then 10 years down the road, what can we anticipate from uh, a development standpoint and uh, a compatibility you know, standpoint, how technology is going to evolve uh, to the point where, you know, how important is it going to be for that, you know, regular troubleshooting, you know, in field. And I know so much as, you know, dealerships have learned a tremendous amount, you know, uh, about remote service and, and telematics over the last mm -hmm. year with, uh, you know, kind of the need to, to implement uh, systems like that. But in a lot of cases, you know, I think uh, that's something that, you know, certainly has been uh, attractive and an efficiency for a lot of dealerships to implement. So, I know that's a very broad topic and, and uh, you know, maybe you want, you can narrow that down to, to your area of uh, expertise, but just was curious, you know, what, what do you think we, we can anticipate uh, on the horizon? That's a really great question, Jack. So I think from my perspective, uh, over the next five or 10 years, um, it, that vision is enabled by connectivity, right? And that's really where, where this journey is going to start is um, the more, the more connectivity we have and, or, or user is connected to his, his, his ecosystem, right? And with the introduction of, of future technologies and artificial intelligence, you, you really, um, you know, again, we move into the realm of 
equipment efficiencies even gaining further and, and predictability on machine breakdowns and, and things like that long before they happen, right? Well, to do that, you, you have to compile uh, large you know, uh, bits of information about your particular farm in general. And, and as that information comes flowing in, and it, that digital uh, information continues to build as a repository, now you enable the, the potential for future technologies to, en to enhance your farm operation. What those technologies will be, again, you know, when you peer out into sectors all around the world, you, you see, um, you know, everything from, from autonomous vehicles to um, uh, variety, you know, again, predictability on weather. And again, I mean, you're, you're really just kind of peering out in, into the abyss when you start thinking about the possibilities, but it all starts with connectivity. And, and that's, if I could, um, you know, really put a stamp on that, connecting a display to a brand's ecosystem is, is where the user's journey is going to begin um, as, as we move into the future of the next five or 10 years. Let's get back to the program and hear more from Phil, Carl, and Arthur about the level of support and communication they've had with their dealership's ownership. One of the themes that, that we've, touched on here the, the last few years at the summit has been kind of that top-down investment uh, in, in the precision side of the business by ownership and, and dealer principals and how important that can be, you know, for, for the executive level people to, to kind of have an understanding and, and a knowledge uh, of what, you know, that part of their team is, is accomplishing and, and the role they're playing in the dealership because I know, you know, the profitability side doesn't always translate, you know, in, in some cases, you know, versus equipment or, or service or parts, you know, thinking about your guys' involvement in, in this peer group, you know, what, what role or, or level of support or communication do you guys have with, with ownership on kind of your, your experience and your commitment here with, with this other group of, of deer dealers? We're, I mean, we're a part of, uh, you know, different peer groups and things like that, that most of uh, these dealers are a part of and everything. So we have a like relationship with most of them that already, whether it's a financial style peer group that they're a part of, whether it's uh, some type of metric style peer group that we're already a part of with them. I feel like this is a little more open than that, just mostly because it's not a number on a page and you have to kind of play where's Waldo to figure out why, which is kind of a lot of times what happens uh, when you compare yourself with different metrics and different numbers and things like that. But this is a little more point blank uh, in regards to business, what does and does not work. And uh, just, uh, I guess, uh, from the timeline of understanding you're going to hit a wall or you're going to hit a serious problem in less than 30 days and you start planning if you update the software, if you uh, do things like that. So it gives you a lot more of a, a lot of the peer groups, I guess what I'm trying to say is they show you what's already happened. Okay. It's a number on a page to tell you, Hey, six months ago, this is where everybody was. And they let you forecast where you're potentially going to be. You got to come up with that. The beauty of this peer group is that it allows me to see potentially, hey, within the next 30 to possibly 45 days, I'm probably going to have an issue. Uh, and you're going to struggle to find a peer group that's going to be able to help you with that or uh, show you that there's a serious issue that's going to be coming down the pipeline and you need to be making uh, issues right now or not updating software or, you know, sourcing some part that is very challenging to find for those limited group of customers or uh, whatever it may be. I think it gives you forward knowledge, which is very hard to do in a 
really a business that lacks that with the weather and everything else. It gives you a little bit of more insight and a little bit more competitive edge than what you have today. Arthur, how about you? Well, you know, there's some different metrics that we're all measured as dealers. We're, we're all accountable for to deer and, you know, our ownership will ask us, well, how, how, how are all the other dealerships doing X, Y, Z? And, you know, we can, we can send out a text and, and, you know, get that information back and, and see where everybody is and see how, you know, what percent everybody is on, on just whatever the metric we're trying to look at at that time. Uh, and it really gives you a, a real feel across the country of what's going on versus some farm report that's slanted because they're sponsored by a different company or something. You know, it, it's, it's on the ground, it's in the field, uh, it's boots in the mud, and, you know, it's real information that we can utilize uh, to see how we are doing as a dealership in the eyes of John Deere. Phil, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think I just don't have much to add there. Just kind of reiterate like what Carl and Arthur said is we're all judged by, you know, deer or, or whoever else, whether that be internally, externally, we are all, you know, have goals we, we would like to hit, we, we need to hit. And talking with this group, you know, figuring out, hey, you know, is this your goal? Is How did you hit that? And where did you get to it? Or how did you get there? And how do you make that work? And that's, you know, like Carl said, they can tell you, hey, this is where we, we want you to be and this is where we think you should be, but we can actually talk to each other and say, well, this is where I'm at and this is how I got there. And so if someone may be ahead or behind, we can work with each other and hopefully, you know, <clears throat> bring everyone up to the same level. Carl, you, you touched on this a little bit uh, a few minutes ago, um, just in terms of... Uh, Obviously, you know, within your teams, you're, you're working with different experience levels, certainly even in the other departments, you know, not everybody, um, you know, has the same knowledge base and, and the, the same level of, of uh, you know, experience with, within their respective department. Um, this is, you know, more or less a, a management peer group. I mean, everybody involved, you know, is, has a, you know, certain level of, of uh, you know, authority working in their departments. Um, Thinking about, uh, you know, your teams and, and obviously the way you guys are, are kind of managing them and, and the supervision side and the accountability, you know, what, what's the takeaway or I guess, you know, the, the opportunity there for um, maybe not necessarily that next generation of precision specialists, but the guys that are, are and, and gals that are up and coming in your organization on the precision side and how do you kind of reinforce um, you know, the value of what you guys are, are getting out of being a part of this group. And, you know, is there an expectation that, you know, hey, this is something we want you guys to, to eventually be able to do and, and, you know, use this as an opportunity to, to grow in, in your role as well? I guess you could say it's kind of a management peer group. Uh, we do try other things from time to time uh, for good jokes, but uh, I think that's probably not a, a bad way to look at it. I think, um, we have a problem at times, uh, all dealerships do to an extent where uh, we can kind of put our blinders on and just focus on this one task, this one product, this one whatever it may be, and we kind of get blinded, but there's this great big world out there uh, of other people that are, um, you know, uh, doing the same thing that you're doing to some extent. And for you to recreate the wheel every single time, this really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, um, especially when, frankly, there's other people out there that do it a lot better than you do. and um, so in some ways, it's just humbling yourself and getting the phone and saying, hey, is there a better way to do this? 
uh, and you'll find how much uh, how much better you become in a very short period of time just by willing to uh, not necessarily take the criticism, but just uh, hear uh, other ideas, thoughts, or ways that things can be done. I think that anytime you find somebody that is willing to develop and willing to grow in that role, you find somebody that uh, is rare in their role, uh, somebody that uh, is hungry. And I think that's what this role is going to require for anybody that is coming into it or going to stay into it. Um, look, when you start talking about we're pretty much using the same engines for I don't know how many years now, there's not a lot of changes in that aspect of things on most machines out there uh, with some argument in there, that's fine. But when you look at the greatest improvement year over year on these pieces, it's technology. It's the features, it's the buttons, it's the things like that. And so that is going to require a serious due diligence and commitment and a discipline for someone to stay engaged, uh, not only to learn if their base knowledge is zero, uh, to get to where they become a, a good operator, uh, they, they can become where they can be somebody that speaks fluently uh, in regards to it, uh, but also someone that is disciplined enough to, uh, to stay engaged, to learn what's coming and to capture the vision, to see what's going, so they can help instruct their account um, uh, or even their shop technicians on, hey, you need to pay attention to this because it's going to matter in a year. So go ahead and discipline yourself now. Paint that machine before you go because it's going to matter, uh, that type of stuff. Uh, so a lot of what we're doing is we're maturing people in their roles to try to mainstream them, right, to try to push technology through our organization. And um, it's challenging at times, there's no question, because, you know, the technology doesn't always match what you really want it to do. It'll, it'll, it'll get there, right? Uh, but uh, at times, you know, everything crawls before its walks and it runs and everything, and this is no different. And so I'd say that uh, the real value of it <clears throat> is, is seeing how other people are running with technology and they're getting people to embrace it in their roles where other, others are still crawling in an infantile stage and I, they are lacking uh, getting certain roles within their dealership to embrace it. And that's where we can kind of ping off each other and hear how we've become influencers for that style of technology to get people to embrace it. So it betters the performance of the dealership overall and the metrics that we're tied back to uh, individually, but also judged on nationwide. Arthur, how about you? Is this, is this uh, kind of influencing, you know, how you uh, kind of shape and, and develop, you know, the, the other specialists you have within your dealership? Yeah, so we've got, uh, it's five of us in my department now. It, you know, in 2012, it was me, and as, uh, I don't know if Phil was doing this then. I think he was, and Carl. The, that was the first mandatory update. I was on the job a total of a one week uh, when the first mandatory update came out on all our receivers, and we, we <laughs> I got thrown to the wolves, and, you know, it was a steep learning curve there, and I tried to – teach the guys that are coming on that are new and I've got uh, several of them that are, you know, I don't expect you to have all the answers, but I expect you to know to where to go look for those answers. And this is one heck of a resource to look for those answers. Uh, uh, that's a, the best thing I can say about this peer group. Uh, you know, we all, as Carl said, we all get our blinders on and you, 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 you just don't realize that, you open up and, and uh, look around and there, there's a lot more answers and there's a lot more resources out there than just what's on your computer. You know, uh, I, I, example, I've got one young man working for us. He came on in uh, October and he was in a rice field for quite a few years and kind of similar to where I was years ago when I was his age. And I told him, I said, you're about to 
see a whole other world because, uh, you know, when you're farming, you that's all you see is your fields. And, and then you come work at a dealership like this and uh, you see everybody's fields and you see just a whole diverse new world of agriculture that you didn't see just stuck in a rice farm in, in one area of the country. How about you, Phil? I, I don't really have much. Carl and Arthur hit it right on the head. And um, like you said, it's a management peer group and just, you know, not only growing in your role as a precision ag manager, but you know, managing every aspect of that, whether that be managing the internal customers, your parts, your sales, your service, and, and then also managing, you know, not only just all the external customers that are there where, you know, we, we deal with, everyone's customers. We don't just have our own specific customers. We deal with, in all reality, every single customer that your store deals with. In some way or form, we touch every customer that, you know, your store deals with. And so just managing that and, and setting the expectations and, and realizing that is probably the biggest thing I gain out of this group. I think we, we touched on uh, at least the, the competitive element and in, in the fact that, you know, the group here, you know, and, and the resource that you guys have developed here provides a, a little bit of an advantage, obviously, um, you know, probably not only, um, you know, among, uh, you know, some of the other dealerships in your area, but also thinking about other brands and, and you know, kind of just the, the bigger competitive landscape. Um Obviously, you know, the way you guys have structured this, you know, you're, you're relying on your fellow deer dealers for, for knowledge and their experience, you know, with, with those products. Um, how much, you know, interaction outside of that, you know, with, with other dealerships from some of the major manufacturers or even more the, the you know, specific precision manufacturers, do you guys kind of interact with or, or solicit advice or, or kind of have those relationships with and again you know some of the other peer groups I've been involved you know they kind of really like to have that diversity you know uh, independence and you know case IH and deer and agco and, and all those different brands you know kind of the, the big melting pot there for all those perspectives and uh, you know sometimes there can be some debates on how people are doing things but obviously that's not a dynamic of this group but just curious you know how much you guys kind of go outside of, of, you know, kind of the, the deer umbrella and, and kind of, you know, work with some of those other, um, you know, competitive dealerships. So uh, Arthur, I start with you maybe on this one. We've got five Trimble dealers in my AOR. I've got one Outback dealer and uh, a Raven dealer. So we're working with those guys all the time. I have really good relationship with two of my Trimble dealers. Uh, we share tire space on our base stations. You know, if I'm up there working on mine and I happen to notice something on theirs, I'll give them a call and say, hey, look, you're tired. You got some corrosion here you may want to address. I'm not going to go over there and fix it for him, but uh, I'll definitely let him know about it. And, uh, you know, and the same with them. Uh, they'll call us and, and say, hey, we're, we're working on this, if, you know, and it's not operating right. What, where should I go and check? You know, it, it, it works out really good. You know, you can, you can be – uh, obstinance, I guess, but it doesn't, that doesn't get anybody anywhere. You know, we, we all have to get along and we do get along pretty good, uh, for the most part. Uh, and that's, as far as a peer group like this, we, uh, this is the only one I really belong to as far as like a support it, but the, uh, but we, we can pick up a phone and call any of the competitors and they can call us anytime. It's not a problem. Phil, how about you? Yeah, I, I work with some of the local uh, red dealers or the, the off-red color, I guess you'd want to call it, 
Um, I work with those local dealers, but that I, I think that's more of a, a working relationship where, you know, like Arthur said, we'll talk back and forth and say, Hey, here's how you do this. Or, or here's what we saw on your tractor when we tried to put green on it or, you know, Hey, I got a problem. This, we got ag leader on this green tractor. How do I fix that? And I think that's more of a working relationship where I guess I'd call this peer group more of a personal relationship because not only do we talk about work stuff, but it's, you know, wives and kids and whiskey and things of that nature. And so I do work with the outside dealers, but I think that's more of a working relationship. Um, I get, I get more, I guess, personal value out of this peer group than any of the others I've been in. Carol, how about you? Any company that has a bolt-on style attachment, that's a, you know, mass quantity we try to work with or be able to support to some extent in the field or know a contact in case we get into trouble with it or lack of performance issue out of it or something along those lines. I think it's very easy to, uh, again, put those blinders back on and somewhat of the, deer, the product of the, uh, the purity of the product of the deer line, you know, in terms of, you know, how you're starting to get more products that uh, don't really require much of a bolt-on. Uh, they're, they're starting to be more kind of seamless uh, and not need additional things from the factory. But um, in that, too, it, it's good to know all what is out there and everything for this reason, because we want to try to support that customer if they see the need, the value, or whatever else it may be. And above all, this is you know something I try to explain to my team and just to keep them understanding is that we are – our customer, it sells their product on a worldwide level, okay? Uh, their competition is all over the world. And so likewise, uh, that's how they get paid on their commodity, and their commodity. But when we only compete on a, a regional level for the most part, it's easy for us to get blinders and view people as more competition than what they really are when really we're on the same team. What matters is that uh, these farmers get a crop in, they get a crop out, they yield what they need to yield, and we're able to keep them in business and keep them going. They're not making more of these guys. Uh, and so it's a fight to keep them in business and a fight to keep them going and to compete on a world level. And, and I think uh, that's the heading and the trajectory uh, and kind of the purity that you got to have in it. And uh, so if you're, when you have that kind of mindset, hey, you want to put that on this machine? Yeah, you know what? We can look into that. Let's just see. Let's just look and see if there's a real difference there. Uh, and I think that kind of um, takes all the bias and the politics out of it and just puts it down to performance and the marriage of agronomy and equipment in the field, which is to me what it's all about. So last question I have for, for the group here is uh, a two-parter. And uh, first part would just be, um, you know, what, what piece of advice do each of you have for, you know, attendees that are going to be attending the event here uh, on, you know, wh why they should get involved in a peer group like this? And, you know, maybe it's a little bit different or however, I mean, there's a, hundred different ways to kind of structure it and format it, but, you know, just what, what's one piece of advice and in a reason, you know, why they should explore, you know, this, this type of opportunity. Second part of that question would just be what's, you know, one word of caution you have on kind of the expectations for getting involved in, in a peer group and uh, you know, what's uh what, what should they kind of anticipate, you know, when, when they're getting involved here? And, and I'm, you know, we've talked about obviously the, the benefits and the opportunities and some of the solutions you guys have been able to accomplish um, through the, the conversations you guys have had. Um, but I mean, you know, there's certainly other challenges and problems that you guys 
you know, still need to solve, you know, outside of this. And, and, you know, um, just on that, you know, what, what they might consider. So, um, Phil, why don't we, we start with you on this one? Um, like I said, in the beginning, I think getting involved in a peer group like this or, or any peer group is just to, to learn from others who are in your position and to realize that you don't have all the answers. Like Carl said, you got the blinders on, you can learn from a, a vast, you know, array of people, whether they are in the Midwest or in the, you know, Tennessee or, you know, whatever that Appalachia, that's where you're at or down South in the, you know, ungodly heat. Hey, Hey, Hey. <laughs> so just, you can learn. And like I said, you can bring some of their, their ideas and their thoughts and their projects up to you, even if it's not in that specific realm. And I guess the caution you'd have is, is, you know, you're not going to learn everything and you have to, if you want to get a lot out of the group, you got to add to the group. And so just make sure you're open and you're honest and whatever you want from the group, you should probably contribute to the group as well. All right, Carl, how about, how about you? Yeah. So, um, I think the reason why anybody should consider, uh, an opportunity to be a part of a peer group is just, the ability to make you more well-rounded uh, and not just outside of the personal things that you've got to chat, but also um, the, um, you know, the, the product information, things along those lines. I mean, look, we all know that uh, it's been very public knowledge, the downsizing at all these organizations in regards to large manufacturers. Uh, a lot of those positions are in uh, what I would consider somewhat of a key style um, training to information uh, position, right? Uh, so there's going to be a lot more pressure put back on dealers to kind of run with the ball, uh, to, uh, for lack of a better way to say it, to grow up a little bit and to support themselves more. And so uh, this is a huge resource in that aspect because it kind of gives us a little bit of a, of a cushion to be able to support each other more as we're starting to learn how to take on this responsibility and uh, kind of mature as an organization more. And I think the other part about it too is, look, let's just be totally honest, developing people's hard. Um, it's a serious struggle. Uh, and working with a piece of equipment uh, or seed corn or something like that, uh, working with a plant, it's far easier uh, and they're far more understandable. Uh, working with people and developing people is very, very hard. And so it gives a serious network of, you know, hey, I'm struggling with this from my salesman or this engagement on this product. What do you do? And more, that's just one-off calls to people and things like that to see where bridges are being made or where they're seeing small successes that you can try to work on because you feel like <clears throat> you have exhausted all your resources and all your ability to build bridges with people to mature them in roles. And then you hear of an idea and you're thinking, I didn't think about it from that perspective. Let me go back and readdress that. Uh, and I think it helps tremendously in that aspect. I, I think a word of caution is, and this is just mostly for folks that are new in um, precision management or in, are in this precision game at all, or maybe went to college and got them a precision degree um, and they're going to go to their first field call this spring is no this that nobody knows at all. Okay. Uh, I don't care how advanced and how smart people may seem, but nobody knows at all. And every time we go in uh, to something down or something like that, or get the call, you don't really know what you're getting into and that's okay. Uh, but know that having lifelines of people that have your back and have support, is really what it's always been about. Um, because it's not about what you know, it's about what the people around you know 
and the relationship relationships you've built that have your back when you get in over your head. And so uh, that's the main part of this that's big is as you build more confidence in yourself when you get in there and you avoid the quicksand aspects of AMS that it has, um, and you start you know realizing the little things that trip most people up and you're getting better and getting better, remember to support people along the way and take care of other people. Because I ultimately believe that it does come back to us taking care of farmers that compete on a world level. And if we don't realize that and we just fight regionally amongst ourselves, we, we lost the big picture of what we were here to do in the first place. And I think that's what this group helps out with tremendously is making sure we're growing and maturing each other as we move into roles in our staff as well. Arthur, we'll, we'll finish up with you. Oh boy. Uh, basically what Carl and Phil have already hit, Carl said it very eloquently. Uh, the advice I could give you is uh, if you're going to form a peer group like this, we were lucky as Phil stated in the beginning that, you know, we kind of all meshed and we kind of all knew each other from in-person meetings at training events and things like that. Uh, we'd go have dinner afterwards on those training sessions in, in Florida and everywhere else. Uh, but just make sure, you know, your, your group is going to mesh really well. And, and we do cause we were all pre-screened, I guess, by, by those training, you know, <laughs> and, uh, the anticipation, you know, you're going to, you're going to get out what you put in. Uh, you know, nobody knows everything, but we all know a lot, put it that way. And, uh, you know, that's just a, that's just a big part of all of this and having this lifeline in the field and, and re ready to go at any, any moments, you know, is, is great. Uh, you know, and, and we content, we talk about personal stuff too, as Phil alluded to on the whiskey subject quite a bit there. And, uh, you know, it, it's we all we all talk uh, talk to each other. There's a little trash talk too, and uh, you know, we blow off steam. It's it's really nice to uh, talk to somebody who's actually dealt with the frustrations that these this job and this position can can really throw at you pretty hard. Uh, so uh, that's I'll end with that. Well, gentlemen, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and sharing some insight here. Um, you guys seem. Uh, to have a, a good rapport, a good relationship. And, and like you mentioned, you know, that that's key, you know, for a group like this uh, to be able to trust each other. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty big uh, to make this kind of dynamic successful. So thanks for your time today, guys. Thank you to Phil Maskell, Arthur Etheridge, and Carl Huebner for sharing some of their experiences working together in a peer group. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at kschmidt at lessermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2431. You can also keep up on the latest precision practices impacting your dealership today by registering online at precisionfarmingdealer.com for our free PFD daily e-newsletter. I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2021 podcast series. For Phil, Arthur, and Carl, as well as Trimble Agriculture and our entire staff here at Precision Farming Dealer, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.